You are now tuned in to the December December 26 26 podcast, podcast, where we encourage you you to be extraordinary extraordinary on an ordinary day. day. Hey, 26ers. Welcome to another episode of the December 26er podcast. I am your host, Delisha, and this episode features Lanise Collier. Lanise is an educator, designer, apparel manager, and host of the Black and Fashion podcast. A Chicago native, Lanise had an entrepreneurial spirit early on, but she also brought her talents in fashion merchandising, logistics, and the like to the retail side of things. She launched and managed a store in a neighborhood where the parent company didn't really believe a location could succeed. But even without corporate support, Lanise turned the store into a runaway success. And despite reaping financial benefit from running such a successful location, she eventually was forced to move on. One thing you'll learn throughout Lanise's story is that when a situation, be it professional or personal, is no longer serving her, she has the courage to make a new choice. She left retail behind, and today she lends her talents to emerging designers and small private label brands by consulting in a number of areas, including sample making and development, cost negotiations, and quality control. She's also preparing to relaunch her own clothing line later this year. And through the Black and Fashion podcast, she provides education and mentorship specifically related to the growth of Black stylists and designers in the industry. Lanise brought so much personality to the show that it's hard to sum up our conversation here. So let's just jump into it. Please enjoy. Lanise, welcome to the December 26th of podcast. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm well. Now, I love now that the, we're like recording. I see how you like pulled it all in to be a little bit more conservative all of a sudden. Right? I am. <laughs> I'm very conservative. I know, this, I know you, the real you know, story. I know how to switch it up. Oh, I'm know? sure. Especially yeah, in the corporate world, I can switch it, but I can switch it down <laughs> <laughs> with the quickness. <laughs> So we're glad to have you on. Mm-hmm. I think this is going to be a turn conversation. I just, you know, based you on, the, you know, you came in high energy. Yeah, I'm a vibe. <laughs> I'm a whole, a I'm whole a mood. Vibe. A whole mood. A mood, a vibe. I have, I think I have a lot of energy and I get that a lot. Mm-hmm. Like you just, you radiate so much energy. I'm like, I think it comes from my parents. Both of them just be I'm one, both of them. <laughs> oh man, that's a lot of energy. Yeah, like my mom and my dad. So I think it just kind of like, it trickled down to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and recently I spent time with both of them. Um, my mom's birthday is at the end of November. Mm-hmm. Um, so I took her to New Orleans for her birthday. And then my dad came the week after for Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. And then like four or five people wrote me on Instagram. and like, we see where your personality <laughs> comes from. Because between the two of them, I can already tell why you are the way that you are. And I was like, yeah, I guess I'm a mix, you know, big energy. You know? Yes, I, I peeped that immediately. <laughs> so besides being a whole mood, who is Lanise Callier? Lanise Callier is a... A free spirit, an educator, um, a mentor, um, a motivator, a self-love advocate, a chef. Uh-oh, wait a minute. They call me hashtag Chef Lenny. And um, I mean, I'm a designer. I'm a product a developer. Like, and I love to dance. Mm-hmm. So she's all of those things. Of those Just things. like mixed in one. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So... Um, there's a lot in there that I definitely want to unpack, but I don't know why free spirit jumped out mm-hmm. at me first, but let's start there because, and I say that because a lot of folks sort of in our generation, um, might want to be free spirits, but don't necessarily walk in that, right? Because yeah. we're on this path to like achieve and kind of do things by the book in a lot of ways and, and in a sense to guarantee our own success. But what does free spirit mean for you and in your life? Anti-book. Okay. Ain't no book. What book? Where that's at? Don't believe in that. 
don't believe in stress. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely have a a spirit that is, I would say, unbothered by many things, but it it was it is not something that happened overnight. Okay. It's something that it took time to build and just like trusting that, you know, everything happens for a reason and the way the universe kind of works and just honestly keeping a positive attitude and a positive energy at all times and unbothered. Mm-hmm. I cannot say that enough. Like just being unbothered and living the way I want to. I don't have any rules that I live by. I'm very, very open-minded. I love to try new things. Um, I try to see the good in everything and everyone mm-hmm. around me. And I just live and do what I want to do when I feel like it. And that's, you know, even in, in you know, in a job or in a mm-hmm. corporate setting, I'm myself. I'm myself in an interview. I'm myself in in my daily workspace. So if you interview me, I guarantee you I spoke the way I wanted to speak and you're going to get the same person even when I, you know, come in and I'm working for a company. So that's me just being myself at all times unapologetically. I don't care about what nobody think at all. And I'm going to be me. And either you're going to like it, you're going to fall into it or you're not. Gotcha. So is that something that you've evolved into over time or has that was that always the case? I think it has been. um, I think it's different levels to Mm -hmm. it, if that makes sense, because I think now I'm just completely like, (laughs) okay. I think it took it took time to like get over like um, not always being confident. Mm -hmm. Um, It took time with like dealing with like, you know, like hardship or like heartbreak and stuff like that. Just like going through the motions and letting life lead itself. But I would say even back to like high school and like elementary school. I um, never want to get mad or upset. Never want to like start an argument. Never want to like get into a fight or start a fight. Like I just have never been like that. Like I've always been a lover. I've never been a fighter. I don't want to fight. I might talk, I might talk a little to you. <laughs> But I'm not going to fight you. I'm not going to like be angry at you. I'm not going to hold a grudge against you. So I think that it just took, I think it's been levels. Like there's maybe been a little bit of time where I may have cared about what someone thought, but it went out the window within 24 hours. I guarantee that it didn't last long. I think definitely within the past year, that that ended up to 29 and coming into my 30s, I definitely went through a lot of different changes. Mm-hmm. And I think that I started reading a lot more. I started getting um, really in touch with like um, meditation and really in touch with like um, working with like crystals and all of their energies. And it has gotten me to an even like a higher and, you know, place of like self-awareness for mm-hmm. me. So I think within the past year is like triple. OK. Yeah. So you're from Chicago. Yes. Tell me what it was like growing up there. Your family dynamic. I mean, and the problem with Chicago is a great city, by the way. It is. Um, but oftentimes I think it, it gets a bad rap in the media, uh-huh. you know, about <laughs> the things that do go on there. Yeah. Um, so a lot of a lot of times I feel like people, the only connection they have to Chicago are like the Bulls, murders, and the fact that Oprah Winfrey's show was there and not really having a, a view of like this amazing city that has mm. a lot to offer. So what was your experience like? I mean, I yeah. had, like, I was great. Like, mm-hmm. I, I would not say like that I grew up in a bad, like an, I had a bad childhood or anything. I mean, of course I lived in a hood like anyone until my mama got a little money and she moved up and we ended up moving to the suburbs mm-hmm. um, when I was like in high school. But I think that she just bestilled out, it's, it's just me and I have one sister. She's mm-hmm. a little, uh, four years older than me. But growing up there was, I mean, it was simple. We didn't we didn't go to school 
in the neighborhood school because mm-hmm. we didn't, my mama didn't like the neighborhood. <laughs> so she definitely sent us to a magnet school mm-hmm. and we was bused there. Um, so we, I feel like she just, she valued education and where we were going to go to school at. And as far as like being in our neighborhood, I just, we, me and my sister have never been products of our environment because my mother always taught us that it was something more. Mm-hmm. Like it's always something else out there. Like you don't have to be here in this space, but you know, you can just like go out and explore. And she's a really open-minded person and a free spirit. So she always like put that battery in our back to be the same way. So, I mean, of course, like growing up, I went to camp every summer, Mm -hmm. Um, not to go away camp, but like the day camps. And I would just go there. I would swim in the pool and we would have activities. We would go on trips and stuff. And um, once I got to high school, of course, I got like a neighborhood job. I was a babysitter. Mm -hmm. And once I got like um, a worker's permit, I worked at like McDonald's and Fuddruck. Fuddruck is like a hamburger spot. Oh, Fuddruckers. Yeah. I've only been there like twice in my life. Mm -hmm. And actually, actually those were my second two jobs. My first job was in retail. So Mm -hmm. I worked at Ray girl um that was actually my first job yeah that would be a rave girl but I would say my upbringing was cool um we moved from Chicago to Calumet City Mm -hmm. when I was um when I got to high school my mom met a Jamaican cat uh, oh boy. She met a Jamaican. Well, she she known him for years. They have been friends, but you know, they developed a relationship and um they got married and we moved to the suburbs. Mm-hmm. And I went to a suburban high school. Now that first high school, awful. When I tell you awful, that is if I have not met so many people that were like a product of their environment mm-hmm. and it would have been so easy to fall into it. Um I'm so I just feel like I got out. <laughs> and it's crazy because it's not it, it's not Chicago. It's maybe 20 minutes outside of mm-hmm. Chicago, but it is it's just so, it was real rough. And I just feel like a lot of people from Chicago kind of moved to that suburb because it's okay. the closest to the city. And when I tell you, these people was fighting all the time. It was always something going on. I actually ended up having to transfer because wow. I got into multiple fights. And like I said, I am a lover, not a fighter, <laughs> but I ain't no punk neither. Right. So I ended up getting you're into- You're from like, Chicago. I right. know you're not I had to get a, I got into so many fights that I did not start. And I felt myself like drowning. And I want to say it was like my junior year because because of all the fights, grades started slipping, mm-hmm. um, you know, wasn't focused. I got kicked off the dance team and the cheerleading team, which is my loves because I love to dance because of all the fighting. And I went home and I begged my mama. I was like, mama, please let me get me out of here. Like, I don't want to be here no more. I'm not succeeding here no more. Like, let me go somewhere else. Like, I will go anywhere. I do not care, but just I don't want to be here. Like, I'm not succeeding here. And she told me I was running away from my problems. And I'm like, no, they the problem. <laughs> I ain't the problem. Like they are. And then I took my sister to jump in and give a little convincing and she let me go. Use one of my aunt's addresses and I got a chance to go to another school, which was like literally one town over Mm -hmm. and it was called Thornwood. And that's where I ended up graduating from. And when I tell you the dynamic of a school only being maybe 20 minutes apart, so different. They had a whole student parking lot. I mean, all the kids already had cars. Wow. I had to keep up with the kids. So I got me a car. I started working at McDonald's. I started saving up my checks and I bought me a car. I'm like, they ain't, no, I'm about to be right here with these rich kids. They wasn't even like rich. They were just like more well off, but they just had some sense that everybody there just had like some purpose to them. And I'm so glad that I begged my mother to do that because I could have sat in that mess, like all that fighting. And right. it was just too much for me. And I'm like, they only fight me because I'm cute and they ugly. Like, that's really the only thing I could think of. Like, I'm just like, I didn't do nothing to y'all. Y'all just ugly. <laughs> y'all ain't got nothing to lose if your face gets scratched. I'm gonna lose something to this, this is my best asset. Like, but I couldn't think of that now. So, like, why do they hate me so much? But I came to you the conclusion. Are, you are definitely a whole mood. But go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's what I came to the conclusion. I'm like, they're ugly. So, that's all I got. That's really all I got because I couldn't even tell you why these girls hated my guts. Like, mm-hmm. But that, I said that was like the only like rough part for me was like high school began in the drag. Freshman year was terrible. Um, sophomore year was 
just as bad. So good. So glad I got a good block because I'd be sliced all up and through here mm-hmm. from a fight that I got into. Wow. I got jumped and they got my coat instead. So they sliced my coat up. They didn't slice my slice, face. So they had coat, box cutters. They whatever. had box cutters. And I'm telling you, I don't know why these girls hated me so much, but I, I got a good block and nobody was able to get to my face. But just like that freshman, sophomore year, junior year of high school was rough for me. And when I transferred, I had just turned over a whole new leaf. I was happy. They actually had like a fashion class, which is what I was mm-hmm. interested in. My first um, school didn't have that. Like, so I was just happy. And then like most of the advisors were black. A lot of the teachers were black. And I just felt like I identified with the second high school a lot more. And mm-hmm. I made a lot of friends there. And to this day, any friends that I have from high school comes from that second high school. And I only got one from the first high school. And this is like a good example of how where you go to school and the people that you're surrounded by can influence Absolutely. what your future looks like. Right? So it's this this chain of events um, where ripple effects were like, you're coming in there, you're not a fighter, but being put in a situation where you have to fight. And then mm-hmm. that's leading to not being able to do extracurriculars, which plays into where you can go to school and where you can apply. Then the grades are slipping, like all of that. And I mm-hmm. think sometimes kids who are in those environments get a bad rap. They're just bad and not realizing that some of them are literally fighting for their lives right. day and, in and day out. And if you don't have a family member that lives in one of those other towns, you can't mm-hmm. go there. Like I was, no one on my mother's side was from there. My mother's from the west side of Chicago. That's where she grew up. And a lot of my family are products of their environment. Everybody in my family didn't have been to jail, mm-hmm. like on my mother's side. But my dad's side is a, a slightly different. Like they are, all of my aunts are like principals. They're educators. They have all these big houses in the suburbs. So we actually asked someone on my dad's side wow. to get the, um, to, could we use their address? Could I train? transferred to, you know, a nice neighborhood. Cause, but there was absolutely no one on my mother's side of the family that could have helped us with that yeah. at all. But, um, and we're not even, I'm not close with my dad's side of the family, but she understood. And, you know, we asked her and she was game. She's like, absolutely. Whatever I can do to help. And, you know, it's even a risk in that in hopes that, like, nobody gets caught. Exactly. <laughs> Using something. Well, yeah, we, my mother went the extra mile. She got her mail sent over there. Mm-hmm. We, she went and got an oh, ID. She, yeah, she was you like, know, let she me did. She, she went, you know, support. after the begging and the pleading, um, we definitely did a little extra for mm-hmm. sure. I was like, oh, please, <laughs> get me out of here. <laughs> I hate it. Like, really, I hate it here. Get me out of here. Literally, I hate literally it. hate it here. Get me out of here fast. So, shout out to mom. Shout out to mom. For making that decision. She for did. real. Okay. Kelly G. <laughs> Kelly G. Mm-hmm. So when you got out of high school, what was the plan then? Okay. So I was stuck on like, you know, getting to the dorms and mm-hmm. like getting away from mom. See, I can <laughs> see you like really ready to yeah, be I was having ready. the college I experience. Was, yeah. So I had two choices. Um, those um, grades from the, the high school before kind of uh, affected like my GPA mm-hmm. and stuff. And I'm just not a great test taker. So my ACT score wasn't high. So it was only so uh, many colleges I could apply to. Mm-hmm. So I had NIU on my list because they had a program called the Chance Program where they would take someone with a lower GPA or a, a lower ACT score and you would be able to get in. Um, and then the other one was Columbia College, which was an art school. I always knew that I wanted to be a designer. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, if I don't get into Northern, and then I'll go to Columbia, but let Northern be my first choice um, because Columbia was just in the city. So it wasn't that like that real college experience. Right. So I did get into Northern and I went up there. It's like in the middle of nowhere. Uh, in the cornfields and they actually didn't even have my major. They had fashion merchandising mm-hmm. um, and retail and I was like, um, well, I guess I can study this and I guess that'll be okay because I already knew how to sew right. and I already knew how to design so I had been doing that for a while. My grandmother taught me how to sew when I was eight. Mm-hmm. So I, in high school, I actually had a lucrative pillow business. I in made, high school? Really? In high school, I made custom pillows. I made a killing on Mother's Day and Father's Day out. and they was customized <laughs> and that was my thing, girl. 
It was a pillow girl. I actually started that business in seventh grade, just lead it up until high school. And so I did you really here with the sewing machine, like making pillows for people, for their moms, for birthdays, for everything. For teachers, I was a teacher's pet girl. I always be busting them out. Okay, I'm, <laughs> I'm really fascinated by this. What was like custom about the pillow? Happy birthday, mom. Happy mother. With their name so on it. So you were sewing messages. Yeah, in the pillows. So I'd make, I'd go to Walmart. I only had like Walmart. So mm. I'd buy like different like uh, material. We'd buy the, I'd buy the poly field and I'd buy like gold glitters and embroidery stuff and just so I can customize them. Mm-hmm. So whether it was like if they wanted a glitter effect then it was just like my penmanship into okay. it like on a, on a glitter base. But if they wanted more of the stitching then it was the stitching and it had their mother's name or any special message that mm-hmm. they wanted to give to their mother or their father and it was on the pillow. Oh, so you were getting money early. Oh yeah, girl. I don't play around. <laughs> I've been an entrepreneur. <laughs> I was not messing around. <laughs> but yeah, um, so I already, I had been sewing for, for a while now. So when I got to college, I'm like, okay, I can you know, do this whole dorm thing. Girl, when I tell you I was the smallest damn dorm ever. <laughs> and well, they, you said you were in the cornfield. Yeah, so. yeah, I was in the corn. It, mm-hmm. it, the best way that I can describe that school is no lie. The movie Higher Learning. That is the perfect way to describe it. Like, they was always messing with the black people. Mm-hmm. There actually was a shooting which killed seven people no. on Valentine's Day. And that's when I decided I had to get the hell up out of there. So while you were there. While I was there. There was a shooting. There was a shooting and it killed seven people and injured like another 11 people. Was it racially motivated or was it just somebody I, snapped? I think he just snapped and he just went in the study hall and break, broke out fire like on a rifle. And then I ain't never seen people move so fast to get up out of there. I was I didn't have no way to get back to Chicago. I sat in the lobby with my suitcase. I'm like, you going to the south side of Chicago? You going to the south side? I didn't care. Whoever got a car, you going to the south side riding with you because oh I'm getting up out of here too. I ain't never seen no parking lot clear out like that and people, everybody just grabbing their bags and getting the hell off of campus but that's the best way to describe that school. Wow. Like, it was um, definitely like that because like, you have like the house parties and like mm-hmm. the Alphas had a house. Um, they were the only ones on campus with a house and then every time their parties would get shut down too. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were always, I feel like, messing like as far as security wise and like campus police, they were always messing with like the black people on campus and I don't know I just didn't love it I didn't like the experience I couldn't stand my roommate um I ended up leaving her and moving down the hall and I feel like I give us she wasn't my friend but somebody that they just partnered mm-hmm. paired me with hated it girl hated it and then I made a friend and I ended up her roommate ended up moving out so I ended up moving with her mm-hmm. got into a room where I was with someone I was a friend with friends like take advantage too so I'm like okay yeah so strangers don't work friends don't work I don't like this mm-hmm. at all so I decided that I wanted to go back to Chicago go to Columbia and really do what I wanted to do which was design yeah. and I applied to Columbia I got into Columbia and then I went back home for the summer and I was trying to apply to get into the dorms there and just lived like downtown Chicago it was way out of my price range it's like so I, start. I might need to stay, uh, yes. stay here at the house right but <laughs> I end up bawling when I find out that I didn't have enough financial aid to cover that housing. And I went to my mother's job and I showed her the letter and I was bawling. I'm like, mama, I gotta stay home and I don't want to stay with you. I love you, but I want to stay with you. <laughs> and she was just like, Lenise, you're 18. No, I was 19. Mm-hmm. She's like, you're 19. You're an adult. You can get an apartment. I said, I can? <laughs> she said, yeah, you can get your own place. And I was just like, oh, I'm gonna go home and look. Went home, girl, got on apartments.com, got to looking for apartments like in the city and I found one. I took my grandmother with me to view it. Literally the first apartment I saw where I took it. Were you working or anything at that point? 
Yeah, because I um when I left, I was working at Wet Seal. Okay. And every you time you hit like all the old school, yeah. school spots. <laughs> when I left, I was working at Wet Seal, and every time I came back, even when I was in North, mm-hmm. when I came back for Thanksgiving break, they gave me my job back. Okay. When I came back for Christmas, they gave me my job back. So when I was there for the summer, I was working at Wet Seal as well. So um, my plan was let them transfer me to the location downtown. It was two that were very close to my job. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I'm gonna get a transfer. Um, and yeah, and I, but. I was going to get a refund check. So the money I wasn't using okay. for housing was going to cover the apartment. I would have came out cheaper anyway doing that. So um, I, I took the apartment and I actually had a car at the time too. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm 19. <laughs> I got my own place. I got my own car. I'm lit. <laughs> and I, I, I moved to the city and I, and I, and I went to Columbia. So mm-hmm. you go in, study design. Mm-hmm. That experience, I presume, was much better than the first one. Mm-hmm. No? It was, it, it was better as far as me learning some of the tools mm-hmm. that I needed, but it wasn't like, okay, so I was the only black girl in all my classes. Okay. They didn't always take us, you know, not us. They didn't always take, you know, I'm going to say us because it was a black girl. It was, I, I would meet a black girl here and there in the hallway and stuff like that and then we would have some of the same experiences as far as like the teachers not taking us serious or like being very hard on us when it comes to some of the critiques and the things that we were designing. Um, I may have had one, two, I had maybe two black teachers mm-hmm. and then the, the girls in the class were just not welcoming you know like I don't want to talk and I want to mingle and everyone was just so into their art that they could not you know they didn't want to be friends or make friends or anything like that so I don't have any college friends at all Mm -hmm. um from Columbia I have I have I have one I have one is a black girl um but only one friend like and I went there for four years I got my BFA there so and I have one college friend but yeah they weren't nice (laughs) you know I think I talked about this on a on a recent um, interview that I did about when your college experience is untraditional in that way, mm-hmm. in that, um, you know, people come out of school, I talk to other folks and they're like, my closest friends are people I went to college with. Mm-hmm. We basically came into adulthood together. Now they were in my wedding, they're godparents to my children and all this other stuff. And that's their actual, their professional network as well mm-hmm. that they can lean on. Um, I had a similar thing where I just didn't connect with people in that way on a, on a more on a surface level, but not in those deep, deeply rooted friendships. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing I love about New York is I feel like you can build it absolutely later in yeah. a metropolitan city if you tap in the right way. Um, especially Black folks, we all, it's like one degree of separation between absolutely. all of us uh, here in New York. So it's like almost you get a do-over to mm-hmm. really build that close-knit um, village that you may not have, have had in, in college. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so you come out of Columbia. What's the vision for your career at that point? When I came out of Columbia, I had just got promoted. I was working at Banana Republic mm-hmm. at this time. I just got promoted. I had got my first managerial position. Um, my goal was to just be a retail manager and to continue to run my business. So I was, during the whole time I was in college, I made custom apparel. Okay. So I was making um, prom dresses, birthday dresses, special occasion, like whatever people wanted. So that, and just like, you know, building like my resume on the managerial side. What I wanted to do was eventually work in corporate banana where I would, you know, I would want to design or like work on like their corporate team. That was my main goal. So I'm like, let me just keep working my way up and I can get there. But, you know, once, you know, working with the management team there, I find out that that wasn't possible because only they only take Parsons grads or they only take FIT grads. And I went to Columbia. So that's not really something that, you know, they do. Like, and this is what I was told by upper management. I was like, oh, okay. All right. So I'll just, I'm just going to be a manager. Um, I didn't like the way 
they managed. I didn't like the process, so I ended up quitting. Mm-hmm. Um, and but I, I found another job before I quit. I became a manager at a local boutique that had about seventeen locations. Okay. So I went to the boutique, and there I just it was a lot more freedom. It wasn't as strict as Banana Republic. I could wear what I want, and I could really run my store the way I want to. And I was there working for the company for four months before they gave me my own store. They opened a store in Hyde Park, which is where the neighborhood that I'm from. Wow. So they opened up a store, and this is their first store in a black neighborhood. Mm. a predominantly black neighborhood um, and they have like I said they have 17 other stores mm. and they opened up a store in a black neighborhood and I'm like oh this store this store gonna be lit like I was just like and they gave it to me and I had to of course hire my own team and train my own team and merchandise my store they wouldn't even give me any merchandise I took a day where I literally went to 17 stores in my car and kept asking them stuff that they didn't sell and was packing it up in boxes growing and sticking it in my car. Okay, wait. So how do they decide to open a store in a black neighborhood, but then I'm putting no support behind it? They didn't it? give us no support. I had one register and I opened up on Black Friday. And so many black people were so happy to have a retail store in the neighborhood. We ain't no retail stores. There's food, there's liquor stores, ain't no clothing stores in the neighborhood. I was they I don't think that they thought it was gonna do as well as um the rest of the stores because of where it was. And they wasn't familiar with the neighborhood. They wasn't familiar with any of it. So for me, I knew it was going to be it because I'm like, I know so many people that shop at Akira, but they go all the way to downtown location. They got to go to the suburb location. But you got one right here in the heart of the city on the south side of Chicago. It's going to be it's going to be lit. And in my mind, I knew it. And I was just like, oh, this is everything. We come open Black Friday, girl. We busted our numbers through the door. With one register. With one and register. merchandising that you had to call from. Exactly. Girl. And I'll tell you, that line was wrapped around. I had somebody walking down. I had a, a, set, a cashier and I had a stylist. We didn't have selfie. We had a stylist. Mm-hmm. So they actually put looks together. Everyone I hired was, um, I didn't know everybody, but it was a lot of people that I did know okay. that I knew was in the fashion scene. And I'm just like, you know what? They would make a good. And I wanted to have each person to represent a person. So I had like the girl who was like more of like the punk chic girl. Mm-hmm. I had the girl that was more posh. Of course, I had like the, the guy that was like funky. So I tried to hire a different person so that we would represent every type of style that you could have. Mm-hmm. In the store. And of course, my staff was black. Mm-hmm. Everybody in my store was black. The music, I only played two chains and I played Drake. <laughs> okay. So, and I, and I controlled the radio. And then we had a liquor store right next door. So, on opening day, I had drinks. So, I had drinks. I had, you know, an all black team. Mm-hmm. I, you know, it was, it was just me as the manager. I, I didn't, I hadn't, I didn't have enough time to hire like an assistant manager or like a key holder. So, it was just me. I was there 24 oh, seven. Wow. And I ended up moving around the corner. I'm like, this is too much for me. So, I ended up, I told them that I needed a raise <laughs> and that I wanted to move closer to the store. So, I'd be right there at any time because I am the only manager and I'm working, mm-hmm. I was working around the clock and I moved literally right around the corner from the store. And we bust. When I tell you, we beat they. We beat numbers, and I was number one in the company from the day I opened that store to the day I left. Wow, number one. When I tell you, I capped out on my bonus every month. I capped out. They was tired of paying me. <laughs> they was tired which of giving so, me all their money. Which is just so crazy, though, is you literally had to make something out of nothing. Absolutely. So you give all these resources to other places mm-hmm. that are doing okay. And they were like, eh. I mean, I, I don't know. Because the owner, he came in the day that we were, before we were going to open, he was like, I'm scared. I don't know. I just don't know about this. I'm like, we're going to do fine. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't understand. But of course, they don't understand. The owners were Asian. Oh, they have no yeah. idea. And they and don't know how we like to stunt. Exactly. And then yes. the people that work for them were all white. And I'm just like, we are in Hyde Park. This is the perfect location. Like, it's like a really good, like, location on the south side. It's actually, we that store was two blocks from Obama's house. Wow. Three blocks from Louis Farrakhan's house. So it's, it's a nice, na- it's actually a nice neighborhood. Like, it's not a bad, because I know my rent increased a lot when I moved to that neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it's a nice, Hyde Park is a really great neighborhood. And it was up and coming at the time. They were opening a lot of new things and they were, um, 
ain't gonna say they were gentrifying because it's still super black mm -hmm. but they just like a lot more black businesses were popping up more retail stores was popping up more restaurants was popping up so they were just you know hooking up the area for sure so I knew it I knew it for day. so <laughs> maxed out doing well in this job mm -hmm. what drove you to leave I got fired, girl. Wait, what? Yeah. That's not what I expected to hear. Yeah, I okay. was. And when I tell you, girl, I was shocked. I was like, and I, and I got fired for hearsay. I was about to say, if you're putting up usually those kinds of places, no, hearsay. if got, the numbers are good, unless you're like sexually harassing somebody no. or stealing. I got. OK, so I got and this is where I made my mistake. I let my employees become my friends. Oh, boy. OK. And if I was to put somebody back in their place they had an issue with it because mm -hmm. I let that relationship be too friendly, friendly. Like they would come to my house. We would hang out together. And I feel like they kind of didn't respect me as a manager, but felt like I was their friend. But no, when I make the schedule, this is what the schedule mm -hmm. is. When I tell you to do something, this is what you need to do. And I know I had pissed off somebody um, and she went and wrote a whole letter about me. And it was very, very mean. And I, I never read the letter, but, you know, some of the other people told me like bits and pieces and stuff like that accused me of stealing too, said I was stealing stuff and said that I was leaving to go get like my nails and stuff done on my break. But first of all, I'm here for 12 hours. What I choose to do on my break right. is what I choose to do. But the way it was done was so just like it was of course it was a shocker for me mm -hmm. and I was just like wow and man like I said my entire staff was black so this is another black woman mm -hmm. going to tell Asian and white people oh well Lenise this and Lenise that which is very interesting it was very interesting to me I'm like wow down the line I feel like she tried to slightly apologize but I was like nah so she was in your feelings and you were mad and mm -hmm. it is what it is right but I was very shocked and I knew that they weren't being completely honest with me because they made me do something very bad, too. I finally did get an assistant manager to help me um, maybe three or four months before that, like around the holiday season, like December, maybe. Mm -hmm. And me and her got really close real quick. She's still my girl to this day. And they made me fire her because they said that she uh, they had some hearsay about her from another business, a local business that said that she was stealing something. And I'm like, she's not stealing anything and she hasn't stolen anything from us. So I don't get it. They're like, well, what if she does? And I'm just like, but you're going off of what somebody told uh, somebody came into another location right. and told someone something. They told the owners and then they told me, I said, I'm not firing her. If you want to fire her, you can go and you can fire her. But I'm not going to look her in her face and lie to her because at this time me and this girl have become right. friends. And I'm just like, she's my my rider. Dad. Like when I'm not here, she's here. She's my assistant manager. And the way they did it, they lied to her and told her they was doing cutbacks. You know damn well we ain't doing no cutbacks when I needed an assistant manager. Right. And she was, they did like the last one hire, first one fire kind of thing because she was the last one hired. But they lied and they told me I had to do it. And I'm like, I'm not doing it. I sit in the room if that's a must for me. But I'm like, I'm not going to look on her face and lie to her. So when it came time for me and when I got fired and all the bull they was hitting me with, I'm like, all right, it ain't that deep. Right, right. Have a, have a nice day. <laughs> so after that, I worked on just my custom business for a long time. I waited. It was the summertime. I ain't never had a, I ain't had a summer break since I was 12. <laughs> I didn't look for a job. You know, honestly, I was doing okay um, with my um, custom stuff and I had enough in savings where I didn't really have to look mm -hmm. for a job. So I waited until the end of the summer and then I looked for a job and I got a job at Halston Harris, which was like a luxury brand. Yeah. And I worked there for about six months. Mm -hmm. If that, before I had decided I was ready to move to New York, I was just like, I want to go back to school. I want to get my master's. I want to get back on the business side. And I was looking for a program in Chicago mm -hmm. and I couldn't find one. So I'm like, let me look around. I had an employee who had just moved from New York to Chicago. And she was like, you're going to thank me later. And she pulls up this program from LIM College. And she's like, this sounds like what you're looking for. 
you need to go to New York. And I was just like, I had thought about it a little while ago. I just never went. And she was just like, well, you, you should go now. And I looked at it. I applied. Mm-hmm. I got accepted. And I'm like, all right, I'm out of here. I'm, I'm going to New York. So when came to New York to go to school. What mm-hmm. year was this? I came here in January of 2014. I came okay. here two days after my 25th birthday. Mm-hmm. And I started my um, my master's program. But also kudos to you for having savings at, you know, 24. Yeah. Or what happened to be. <laughs> you know, that age is like most people are just turning up no, with checks. I, I was, I was, bills I was and that's it. I was like, I was good. Mm-hmm. I have, and then I had my side hustle. Like, yeah. you know, I've been making, I've been making dresses and making clothes all this time. So like my, my payroll checks pay my bills for me or whatever. And I moved around the corner from the store. So I didn't have a car. I didn't have right. any car expenses. All I had was my rent and like my utilities. And I got a discount on clothes at the store. So which is crazy why they thought I was stealing. Cause I was just like, this shit cheap. <laughs> And even cheaper with my discount. Like, I gotta steal some clothes for it. Oh, y'all must, and I make clothes. Y'all must be crazy. I just thought it was so stupid. I was just like, right. <laughs> sure. So you come to New York, mm-hmm. start your program mm-hmm. at LIM. And then how long was that? It was a year. A year. A so year. and then that time Straight you through. were still doing other stuff. I got well. a job at a place called Danny New York, and I was a alteration and tailoring manager and a sales specialist. Okay. So um actually that's how I learned the city, because I would go out to different retailers and we would do like their, they always outsource the alteration of tailoring. Mm-hmm. So I had like an account in Gucci. I had an account in like Lombon and like Brunello Cuccinelli where I would go to their store, do the fittings for like their higher um, profile clients mm-hmm. and we would do their alterations that we would deliver it to their homes or whatever. Um, and then we had our own like high profile clients. Um, you know, we used to do alterations and go to like Mariah Carey's house. Wow. And we did alterations and we went to like Robert De Niro's house. So we did that and that's where I worked at while I was getting my mask. I worked there during the day and I went to uh, class at night. Yeah, you, so you weren't doing like grandma's alterations, you no, know, in no, the kitchen. No. <laughs> oh no, I, I was like, girl, you want us to do it? Ham is a hundred dollars. Yes. It was, yeah, it was, it was a high end tailor. That, that's high end. It was very, <laughs> real. it was very that's high end. Dry cleaner, no, shorten these pants for ten dollars. No, 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 no honey, you want us to touch it? It's gonna be a hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. It's um, seamless work. You never be able to tell it was ever altered, and um, they were, we were fast, mm-hmm. and we came on location, we delivered, we picked up. It was like, well, it's a really good. It was a really good business. The owners um, were a um, a Puerto Rican and a Russian couple that had done 20 years at um, Giorgio Armani wow. and their tailoring department and they opened up their own business. Mm-hmm. So did you go in and when you go into an environment like that, are you like, I need to up my game or did you feel like I'm ready? I have the skills to do this at this level. Well, I wasn't selling. They were. Okay. I was managing. So you were just managing. I was managing because yeah. I had the managerial experience and I knew how to sew. Mm-hmm. But I didn't actually have to sew. I okay. was more so like just managing the team and like passing out the work and what needed to be done and then uh, locking in those sales accounts. Okay. So I would go out to stores that did not have us and offer them our services as well and give them like a 90 second pitch or less 30 second pitch mm-hmm. and, you know, get them to, you know, take on our services. And I was able to close a couple of accounts with like Emilio Zegna and I closed another account with Max Mara. So I was okay. able to do like the sales and I would go to just the shopping neighborhoods and going to all the stores so mm-hmm. I spent a lot of time in Soho on the Upper West Side and that's I was out there selling I'm like I could sell I could sell and I could sew so we worked and that's what they said when I came to the interview like actually we were thinking about you like for the floor manager position but then we saw that like you have like a sales and you know a retail background we figured like why not do both and right. kill two birds with one stone I was like yeah I could, I could do both actually mm-hmm. and yeah so they just hired me and I did both roles so how long did you do that role the whole time I was getting my master's so for okay. a year for yeah. a year mm-hmm. so you get this master's degree Mm -hmm. then what is your vision now for your career oh I met a guy oh boy (laughs) 
I met a guy when I first got there, actually. Okay. And he told me to quit my job and to focus on my brand. Really? Was so it? I quit my job and I focused on my brand. And as soon as he got me house of Long Island in his little house, he wanted to turn me into a damn stepford wife. And that's not who I am. So that didn't work out. And I had to get up where I left that like a thief in the night. Okay, child. so wait, let's, un- <laughs> let's unpack this a little bit. Met this guy mm-hmm. and he's like, um, quit your job. Like, just, just okay. focus on your... Did, did it, was okay, it, like, so how we, long we started together? dating yeah. when I literally, I met this man before I started the program. I met him the first week. Okay. So I started my master's program on Monday. I met him Friday night because I went out to a club and I got drunk. And I met this man that night and we started dating and my friend was like dating his friend. Okay. Um, and we were dating and everything was cool at first. And then like we... I want to say, he was so nice. He would come pick me up after school, after I didn't worked all day and went to school, take me to dinner. It was really nice. And I want to say, maybe February or March, I, when I first moved to I lived with my friend for a little while. Not even a little while, two weeks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I found an apartment because my lease was up in my apartment in Chicago. So I had to hurry up, find an apartment, and like get all my stuff out of there and get it to New York. I, I shipped 57 boxes here. Oh my gosh. From Chicago. And um, the FedEx guy left them in the front of the building. <laughs> and I lived at a fourth floor walk up. So maybe that is classic FedEx, like classic FedEx. Godspeed. So maybe like two to three weeks in that apartment, I got robbed. So I was not happy about that. I'm a oh single woman. I feel gosh. like they were watching me. And they saw me get on myself. They saw that I left every day at like mm-hmm. seven. I didn't get back every day to like 10 or 11. So I got robbed. They so broke into your apartment? They broke into my apartment, stole my MacBook, stole money that I had in my drawer, stole jewelry that my grandmother had given me. So I was not happy with the neighborhood and I rushed into finding that apartment. So mm-hmm. that was one of his things. Oh, you should come live with me because it's safer here. That was like the first thing. And then I'm like, no, I'm good in my apartment. I'm going to get some renter's insurance. I'll be fine. Girl, and then the summer rolled around girl and I had I had mice I ain't seen no mice I ain't ain't never seen no mice welcome to city life on the northeast I seen mice I started seeing roaches girl and I just was I got freaked the fuck out okay (laughs) I was like oh my god so that was like the turning cue for me okay I got robbed not in the same neighborhood they got bugs everywhere so I you know I finally gave in Mm -hmm. and told him I would come move in with him and then I would you know I would leave my job and I did and yeah, that just did not work. You you had like the trifecta. You had thieving, rodents, and roaches. That is like, yeah, you, you got you to gotta find something I had else. to get it out of there, you know. And then he, before I said yes, he brought me out to the house. And it was in Long Island. It was deep in Long Island. Mm-hmm. I'm like, this is so far. He's like, you'll be able to use the car when you want to. The train is not that far away. So you'll be fine. I'm like, okay. And it was brand new. No one had ever lived in that. It was a brand new townhouse. So I'm like, this is so nice compared to where I live. Yeah. I was enticed. And then you told me I had to worry about the rent. Man, <laughs> you're sir. like sold. Sir, I've been paying rent since I was 19. You know what? I'm going to take you up on this offer. Mm-hmm. And I moved in. Stupidest thing I could have did. <laughs> dumb. It was dumb. <laughs> but at the time, it sounded, I was in survival mode. Yeah. Because, um, I mean, it was tight. Like, with, even with the job that I had um, in the school, it was it was real tight. So I was paying the bills. But, ooh, honey, New York was just like a different beast financially than right. what I was used to. So just hearing that itself, I'm just like, oh, my God. Like, if I could focus on my brand and, like, he really sounded like he believed in me. And if I didn't have to worry about rent, I could do, like, great things. Mm-hmm. So I took the bait. I took the bait. And at first it was good. But then I didn't. I feel like he was, like, trying to, like, mentally, like, abuse me mm-hmm. and I wasn't gonna deal with that at all 
I just rewind back the four years I was at Columbia, I was in a domestic violence situation wow. the whole time I was getting my um, bachelor's degree. And, you know, I was in and out of court. I was in and out of like not being able to go to 10 classes. I'm not finished on nobody how I look or what I'm going through and I'm just not going to do it. So once that situation finally was over, I promised myself I'm not never going to let nobody mistreat me or hurt me. So he didn't never put his hands on me. But the way he would talk to me and like belittle me, I'm just like this. And lost his mind. Oh, I shouldn't mm-hmm. have said that. But I was very upset. And I was just like, you know what? I don't have to be here just because he paying the rent. Let me go get a job. And it's nothing for me to get a job. I have a degree. I have a really good background in management. Like, it's not going to be hard for me to get a job. Mm-hmm. I got a job. Took me two checks, girl. <laughs> two checks. I had my deposit. And I, I had my first month in my deposit. I found me an apartment in Harlem. Um, and... He went to Miami for carnival. Mm-hmm. Soon as he left, girl, I packed up that whole house in one night. Packed, left him one spoon, one fork, one knife, one plate. He he only needed one of everything. Took everything. So you took all the furniture. I took everything. And everything. I took everything that I paid for. Okay, I'm with you there. I took everything mm-hmm. that I paid for. And when I, like I said, when I first moved there, he didn't have anything. So mm-hmm. everything that was in there, I bought it. Okay. Gotcha. The only thing that his mama bought as a George Foreman was checking was a couple gift. I didn't take that, but I was tempted. <laughs> that and the ninja, but I didn't take. I'm like, you know what? Don't be petty. His mother bought those two items. Just leave them there. But yeah, and I, but. I didn't know no one here. So I packed up that whole U-Haul by myself and it was filled from top to the back. And then I drove it to Harlem and I unpacked it by myself. It took what? me six or seven hours. I was me and that dolly pulling it up. The st- it, was, it was September, October. It was a lot of people outside. Nobody offered to help me. Not that I expected Were anyone you moving to. furniture? I was moving furniture by myself. In Harlem, the streets are so doggone narrow. I couldn't get a spot for the U-Haul right in the front without blocking up traffic. So I had to park the U-Haul down the street. So it's me and this dolly moving all this stuff for six or seven hours. But the next day, I felt great. I'm like, mm-hmm. you know what? I got myself and I pulled myself out of a situation that I didn't need to be in. I wasn't designing anymore because I'm like, I got to focus on getting this money real quick so I can yeah. get up out of here. And then I can get back to myself once I'm at peace, you know? And I got about it there. Next thing you know, I had a good, uh, I was working at a good job and I was still making my, I started back taking clients and mm-hmm. I was fine. That is, I'm just trying to picture anybody who has moved in the city is stressful with a team, <laughs> right? Which is why I believe in like hiring movers and this. And I was on a budget, area. sis. But like, you, know, <laughs> you gotta make it happen. Mm-hmm. I just could not imagine trying to move and keep my stuff safe. That's like I had to keep locking block. it. Yes. And coming, no, girl, when I tell you, it was just like, a, I had to lock it, then I gotta come back in, I gotta lock it. It was, it was a struggle. Oh, the moving gosh. the stuff into the U Haul was easy because it was a townhouse and a door. Mm-hmm. I would literally park the U Haul right in the door. But moving on to the, and I was only on the second floor in Harlem, but I had to get it up the stairs or hog the elevator and put as much stuff in the elevator as I could. Girl, it was a struggle. Oh, I never want to do that again. But I did it. So you just ghosted rightfully. Girl, didn't say a word. And I, t- I even packed all the printer paper. I couldn't even write him a note. <laughs> so I found like the Con Ed bill and I wrote what I had to say. Like, you've known for a long time that this ain't been working out. Hope you have a nice. And it was his birthday. Happy birthday. Um, you packed hope you have printer a paper? I packed and I, it. was all the way in the back of the U-Haul. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm not going to tumble all over all this stuff trying to get this man some paper. So I found a bill that had a little bit of space on it. I wrote it like in the corner and I left it on the table. I didn't take the table. I couldn't fit it. <laughs> <laughs> it, I packed that group how it was packed I couldn't take the little cocktail table so he, he kept he that he kept the cocktail table and his one little set of dishes yeah. and you know that's all he needed that's all he, he needed, needed so what does your career look like today <sighs> 
such a blessing. <laughs> um, so now, I mean, I've been working at, in product development and as like a production manager for the last couple years. I just decided to launch LC Apparel Consultant um, about two and a half years ago because mm-hmm. uh, people were constantly coming to me, asking me for help. And I'm just like, hmm, I mean, I do love to help people and I do love to mentor. Why not, you know, make it a business? And I do have the resources to do it because mm-hmm. uh, I've worked in this industry for a while now. So I was like, LC Apparel Consultant. Let's uh, let's um, take on clients, mm-hmm. help them get their lines manufactured, help them with pattern making and sample making. And it just truly blossomed a lot within the past year. It has done amazing. It's only been two and a half years. And um, just last year, I launched a Black and Fashion podcast, mm-hmm. which I'm like, I want to have an educational component where I could give people information if they're not clients and they can't pay, but they can still receive the knowledge and the information. And that has done very well over this past year as well. And I currently really still work in the industry. I work for a intimate apparel company okay. and I'm a production manager, product development manager. So I, my process is very similar to the way that I work with my clients, but we do a lot of our manufacturing overseas. Okay. All my clients are, you know, smaller designers, emerging, inspiring designers. So we do everything here in New York, mm-hmm. um, just a different scale. Um, Cause what I do, I, I do product for like Ross and Burlington, okay. um, Macy's, Amazon, stuff like that. Um, but the, LC Apparel Consultant has definitely uh, social media. I don't have a website. Mm-hmm. I only have my social media page and I just separated them. The Black and Fashion Podcast, LC Apparel Consultant, Denise Collier, they all were in one Instagram mm-hmm. at one point. And I'm like, you know what? Maybe if I separate them out, I'll attract the podcast audience here. I'll attract the sure. designers here. And I just have like my personal page. And once I did that, business really took off. Really? Yeah. Like, and that was the key, just separating it and making each platform form like focus on exactly what it was and what we were offering mm-hmm. and that has done well and all my they make me cry all the time my clients are like you're my fairy you're my fashion fairy godmother and you know you just give so much knowledge and you're very and you're helping everyone is just so genuine they really really love the experience and that's what I feel like I've built my business around is really the educational component I've heard horror stories about people trying to start clothing lines and you know um, hiring people to help them and those people either taking their money and not having a product to show for it or they not under understanding the, their process and what's important. And for me, the educational component of it is the most important because eventually, yes, I'm you're working with me now, but at some point you need to be able to hire in-house people to train them to do this or even do this yourself. Right. So you need to know how to do it. You're not going to be able to pay me all this and I'm not going to be able to do it. So the whole point is to get them to understand the entire process and that everything is possible because you'll mm-hmm. get told no a lot, especially in design. Right. Oh, you can't do this. You can't just do one piece or you're doing too many or you got to produce in China. No, you don't. So I make sure I let people know that there all things are possible. Mm-hmm. And that's like like the core of my business. Like if you dream it, I can make it happen. If you envision it, I can make it happen. So, so you, how many different aspects are you actually consulting on? Because it sounds like it's a logistical <laughs> piece. There's production. It could be design. Everything. Okay. So L, that's why it's LC Apparel Consulting. Mm-hmm. So we literally go from start to finish. So if you just have it up here and you need me to draw it, I can draw it out for you. Mm-hmm. Um, if you already have, you can already sew but you need help, I can help you. So LC Apparel Consultant has just education. And then we have the sector of people who don't want to really know anything. Mm-hmm. They just want me to do the work for them. So for pattern making, you know, when if someone books a consultation with me and, you know, I kind of figure out what their goals are, I can link, I can push them in the right direction and also what their budget is. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want me to do it for you, I can, but this is the price. But if you want to do it yourself, this is a significantly low price to take these classes with me one-on-one and cater it to your business. 
So if you want to really learn and understand, you'll come out a lot cheaper just taking the classes opposed to paying me as a consultant. But it's totally up to you. I just like to give people like both options. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I do literally start to finish. So we do do the merchandising. So we, you know, we build style. No, I have, I say we, because I have an assistant now. Okay. <laughs> and I used to be a one woman show. Girl. Mm -hmm. It's been a long time. time. <laughs> we had an assistant since September. Um, uh, and I still do a bulk of the work, but she does like pick up the slack for mm -hmm. me and help me in a lot of ways as well. Um, but yeah, we do. So we do the design development. We do pattern making. We do sample making. We do fabric sourcing. We do tech pack development. Mm -hmm. We do fittings. Um, we do the manufacturing production for you. Um, we find manufacturers and I even have a tour where I take, I literally take people to do the same thing I do. Wow. Like literally top to bottom. I created a production manual that has a list of operations and how you do things and how you um, should be doing some things you should be doing simultaneously mm -hmm. as well as like templates to break down the money side of it because this is an expensive process. Absolutely. So I've, I've created all these different templates when it comes to costing out the fabrics, costing out the trims, breaking the cost down so you understand where your price point and your price strategy needs to be and what you're spending on the actual goods. So all these templates are in there. I take you to meet every single person I work with. Wow. The tour is about three hours and we meet everybody. I introduce them, give introductions because everyone I work with, um, they have no order minimums. They will, you know, they love working with emerging and new designers because it's right in the core of the garment district. Sure. It's not being made in China. So if I keep bringing in new designers, it keeps them in business mm -hmm. because new designers are doing smaller quantities. New designers are going to produce in the USA and it keeps these small businesses in business by having all these new and upcoming designers. So they're all very friendly and they're willing to work with anyone and you, I literally give you all the tools to set mm -hmm. you up for success to do this entire process on your own, but you just got to get out there and want to do it, you yeah. know? So it, what I think is amazing about this is oftentimes, for whatever reason, people find the cheat codes and keep them to themselves, right? Like, it's like, we don't want to share that information for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. um, they so get that I all the time. Right. <laughs> They're like, or, you're such a blessing. <laughs> right. Or part of what you can offer is to do it for them. So, you know, I could see people coming into this and saying, I'm going to keep all the connects to myself and then I'm just going to sell the service to someone else and execute for them. Mm -hmm. What drives you to actually share that information? Because I don't want to do it all. <laughs> <laughs> it's so much work. Like, I have a lot of brands, but it's like, mm -hmm. it's so many designers out there. Like, you really could do it yourself. And just because I feel like there's not enough, like, diversity and inclusion in the fashion industry mm -hmm. as it is. And I and I honestly feel like it's always somebody trying to get over on somebody. True. Like, I see it all the time. I've heard so many horror stories. I'm like, but well, why not? put the information out there. Mm -hmm. Like if you go to a grocery store or you go even like in the freaking bread or cereal aisle, it's so many of them. There's money out here for everyone and everyone's different. Like you may design coats. I may design lingerie. You may design hats. Like why ho like hold the information to myself when it can be people out there doing greatness? Right. Like why, what am I holding on to it for? Like it's like some secret gem. Like I'm always going to be able to use my resources. Mm-hmm. Now you can use them too. And now you can build your own relationships with these people. And this also brings people that I've been working with who have been in places where they might have to go out of business in business. Mm -hmm. So I'm keeping people in business that, you know, when they start all the bigger designers that they used to produce for go start producing in China, I'm keeping these smaller businesses open. They're open and they're ready for business. And then I'm helping all these designers like to get to their dreams and their goals. But I, I don't see the point of withholding the information. Mm -hmm. And I recently had a client um, 
out of a different state that asked me, she's like, you know, I really want to work with you, but, and I want my clients to work with you, but it's like, is it selfish if I want to like keep you to myself and they have to go through me to get to you? Is it something that we can partner on? I said, and I told her, I'm like, well, yeah, it is kind of selfish because it's just like, if you want to chop, you don't do what I do. Right. So if you just give them direct access to me, it's not like something, it's not like something that you can do. You don't, you don't know what you're doing. Right. Um, I'm helping you produce your line and you basically want to take my skills and make them, make these people filter through you to get to me. Why don't you just do what it is that you're good at? You're good at brand management. I don't do marketing. Mm -hmm. I'm a product developer. That's what I do. I create product. But as far as like how to market it, and how to sell it. That's not my area. That's your area. So why not give them a direct contact with me? I'm not going to talk through you to talk to them about a fitting or a certain comment about a pant or something like that. It doesn't make sense. So yeah, I'm like, actually it is. It is selfish. Mm-hmm. And you're, she's another black woman. It is selfish. And I think that in order for me and you to work together, I'm going to need direct access to the client. Now, whatever you want to charge them on top of being their brand manager, that's fine. You do that with them. But I, they're going to need direct access right. to me. I will not work through you to work with them. No, I will not do that to anybody. Sorry. So if you want to work with me, you can work with me. But as far as like us sounding some type of clause or something like that, no, right. sweetheart, I'm not doing that. Okay. <laughs> My business is separate from your business. You charge them over here what you need. I'm going to charge what I need. And if they want the educational side of it and they don't want to pay me, I'm going to show them that road too. That Chicago came right out of you. Huh? Right out of me. Like, <laughs> no. You must be, why? Because why? Right. And she's like, but it took me so long to establish these connections. I just don't want to give them away. Since all you did was DM me, DM me on Instagram. <laughs> How did you establish a connection with me? They could DM me too. Right. And you guys do different things. Right. She made it seem like we had this like growing bond or something that me and her were established over. Since I just met you. <laughs> and I don't really know you actually, right. but I don't like that. That part of it I don't like, which is why I had to be very honest and forthcoming with that information. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm mm-hmm. not going to do that at all. But just like you found me on Instagram, you think one of your clients can't find it? I right. hashtag Black Designs. I hashtag Apparel Production. How you know one of them ain't already working with me right now? Right. And that's what you get for trying to be sneaky. <laughs> don't be sneaky. Like, if you found me, they can find me mm-hmm. too. Guaranteed. So how are you managing all this? I know you said you hired an assistant as of September, but like, how do you juggle working for a company and building your own thing? Time management is everything. Mm -hmm. And I'm very good at it. Um, I, I, when it comes to, I'm so precious with my time and how I plan out things. So I work, yes, I work for a company, but um, a lot of times because my workload is a little bit smaller, I can do the work of my business at work. Got it. Okay. So as far as like the planning side of it and what I need to do and things to get done, I can do that. Like, like I have like a whip report was like a work in progress. So I have all my clients on it, where they are in their process, what needs to do, what needs to be done. So of course I work on their things when I get home and then I work on their things on the weekends. Um, luckily I work for a Jewish company mm-hmm. and we get off on Fridays at two o'clock. That's okay. every Friday Shabbat. year round. Mm-hmm. Year round. So at two o'clock on Fridays, that's when I do my tours. I do my tours the first Friday of every month. Okay. So the rest of the Fridays, I go straight home and I'm, I'm getting busy. I'm, I am, I'm pattern making, I'm sample making. Um, I, because I work in the, that the garment area, I'm near the garment district. Mm-hmm. So I can go out on my break and go fabric source and I can go out on my break and go to my factory and check on my production for my clients. So it's actually very convenient. Um, everything that I do is in a close proximity and the people that I work with on the manufacturing side are very close to. Mm-hmm. Um, I communicate a lot with them during email. And I've made these great connections where I can make stuff move without me being there. Like, hey, I need you to pick this up from here and deliver it here. Mm-hmm. Pick up this pattern, go get this fabric. And like I work with a fabric store that 
will deliver stuff for me. I work with like a pattern maker that will take the patterns to the factory. I work with a factory that will ship my stuff to my customers. So it's just a call or email away where I could just I keep making things move like in rotation mm-hmm. without me actually having to be present. So tell me about a time when you had to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Um, I would say um, last summer, no, the summer before that, I had lost another job. <laughs> um, my boyfriend, me and my boy, he had cheated on me and broken my heart. Um, and then me and my father had gotten into a really bad falling out. And I think that the the, the boy ex-boyfriend did me so dirty. I, he left me in a lot of debt. Mm. Um, so my funds were very low. I was behind like on a lot of bills and stuff. And I just lost my job. And then I had a falling out with my father who could have been the only person that could have helped me at the mm-hmm. time, but did not want to help me at the time. And I had to pull myself up by my bush. And that's, that's when I started LC Apparel Consulting. That's when like really got into like the core of it. That's mm-hmm. when I started the podcast. And it took me like a day or two to pull myself together because it, it was like a spiral effect. Were like, you guys living together? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. It all happened at once. Mm-hmm. So me being behind on all these bills, me losing his job, he just being, I'm just, he just being completely deceitful and wasn't the first time, but it was like the last straw. Mm-hmm. I cannot do this anymore. And I was just like, I was in a little depression and I want to say maybe like a week. It took me a week. And then that Monday I woke up and I'm like, snap out of it. Mm-hmm. You are extraordinary and you can do whatever you want to do. I started the podcast and I started recording. I really started like I rebranded LC Apparel Consultant with a little bit of money that I had. And I just went ahead and just put my money into my business that didn't pay my bills and wow. look for a job. I didn't pay nothing. Mm-hmm. I didn't pay anybody nothing. I was just like, they get their money when I get it. But right now, I feel like what I need to do is put money in. So I need to I need to get a logo. I need to get some marketing together. I got to put it out there. I got to put this podcast out there and then I'm going to look for a job. And I was able to find a job as soon as I was done putting all the seeds together for mm-hmm. LCA Paracles and for the Black and Fashion Podcast. So when I got to my interview, I, first time I've ever worked for a black woman in the creative director wow. field. And I ended up, you know, our interview was like a real, like a chop it up session. Mm-hmm. I was like, well, girl, I got a podcast. I got a, a apparel consulting thing, but it's like, I, I need, of course I need a, a job and um, I want to work for you. Actually. I like, I'm like, I was, I was into it. And like, it really turned less into an interview and more into a conversational piece. And that was it. And that all happened within a two day span. Wow. I got everything together and I knocked everything. I got the job and I'm like, you know what? I got a job. I got caught up on my bills. Um, I, I launched my podcast. I got LC Apparel Consulting popping. I got like two or three ex- like like new like coming clients, and I made it work. I made it work, and I pulled it out. I do feel like we need like a whole separate conversation about the relationship piece. Because um, you have a story to tell, separate and distinct from girl, uh, all this. He tried to sleep with my friend okay. in my bathroom Wait, in what? my house. What? I woke up and I caught them. Sure did. The day before his sister was getting married, and I was in her wedding. Oh. Lord. Yeah. (laughs) And that was, that was, it was heart breaking Mm -hmm. more than anything else. Like the deceit. Yeah. And this is somebody like my ex, like best friend. Honestly, this is somebody I've been around nonstop. She was at the first high school with me. We transferred at the same time. We began in the same fights. We went to NIU together. We went to Columbia together. When I moved here, she moved here right after me. So this is somebody, she was at my sister's wedding. Somebody that I consider like my sister. Traveled through life together. Traveled through life together from 14 up until, I mean, that was two years ago up until 28. So 14 years of friendship, you willing to just throw it down the drain for what? And him, I was more mad at her than I was at Mm -hmm. him. And I should have kept the same energy with both of 
them. Um, but yeah, they that's it. That broke me down. Yeah. Like more than anything, and then losing my job like that, of course, broke me down. And having to fall down with my father, that broke me down. But I think that hurt more than anything else, mm-hmm. for sure. But and it's crazy how things tend to compound that way. Mm-hmm. But I do believe that you know what they say: necessity is the mother of invention. Life, no matter how traumatic is always nudging you into whatever your purpose is. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it takes these extreme circumstances for you to come up with the innovation that you need to really blaze your own trail. One of my friends asked me, she's like, you've been doing so much and you've done so much since that breakup. She's like, do you think that he was making you stagnant? Do you think that it was a distraction? I'm like, it absolutely was. I'm so concerned about whether this man is cheating on me or not or what he's doing when I'm not around that I wasn't focused on myself. And then I realized the whole time that we lived together, I didn't make nothing. Mm. I didn't make a single piece. I didn't design nothing. I didn't draw anything. I didn't get behind that sewing machine. And I didn't realize it until after the fact. And I was like, wow, I was so consumed with another human and what he was doing and not being focused on me and what I needed to do because I'm just too busy, like, trying to either, you know, look at his phone or, like, <laughs> catch, or catch him in a lie or running up behind him trying to, like, make him love me mm-hmm. the way I loved him. And I also, those are those were bought lessons. Mm-hmm. I paid all the bills. Wow. He didn't pay nothing. Nothing. I bought a car for him. I already had a car. I bought another Wow. Yeah. So it's like, and I realized I'm like, I spent so much money. Every time I went on a vacation, I took him with me because I was afraid to leave him at home because I think that he would have a woman in my house or cheating with me because I found stuff in the past. Mm-hmm. So I became very insecure, very insecure. Didn't know my worth. I'm like, you going above and beyond for this man. And what are you for what? For what? And then when I realized it, I was like, hell yeah, I was tripping. Yeah. And I wasn't being my true self. I lost myself in that relationship. I lost my inspiration. I lost my motivation. I wasn't designing. I wasn't teaching. I wasn't doing none of the stuff that I love to do. Mm-hmm. I lost it. And I'll never in my life do that again. Learn from that. Those painful, expensive lessons. Girl, bought lessons. But, my mama called them. She's like, no, you bought that lesson. I might, Bitch, you won't do that again. I might have to steal that. Bought lesson mm-hmm. for sure. So what does the future look like uh, for you? Expansion. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to be able to just keep helping designers. Um, I mean... I would say I would like to go a, a, like in an expansion where I'm helping everyone. But mm-hmm. I mean, my focus really is uh, black designers. It really mm-hmm. is because Love I that. feel like that's where it, they need help. At. And mm-hmm. I feel like in our community, I want to create a community where we're buying. I want to be buying hats from a black person. I want to buy my underwear from a black person. I want to buy every, anything that I need on the apparel side. I want to buy it for a black designer. And there is so many creatives out here that just need that help in hand. I just want to keep assisting. So I want to be able to get, a, you know, a couple of different consultants and train them and do like for them to do what I do mm-hmm. but they gotta be passionate and I know with someone passionate I'm very good at interviewing and like pulling things out of people that I need to know so mm-hmm. training other you know additional consultants growing the podcast um, teaching at seminars I'm teaching at the Black Beauty Expo in Atlanta next nice. August I'm, I'm doing the fashion entrepreneur retreat in um, LA um, in um, March so just like just continuing just like to spread the knowledge out there and like you know just teach like I just want to teach I want to teach and I want to spread knowledge and just keep diversifying the, the fashion industry awesome yeah. and where can people find you online uh at lc apparel consultant at black in fashion pride well lc underscore apparel consulting and then black in fashion one word black the letter in mm-hmm. fashion um my personal is lenise collier i post mostly black in fashion lc apparel consultant content you might see a turn up every now and then on there <laughs> <laughs> it's a turn up happening after this I've heard yeah you'll yes. probably see that <laughs> um, but yeah that's where you can find me and I, those are my outlet I really don't do like a, I don't have like a website or anything mm-hmm. like that I don't think I need it at this time when I re 
relaunch my brand, I will have a website. I do outerwear and handbags. Okay. Um. So yeah, I'll have a website then. But right now, it's all about these other designers. I can do my line at any time. Mm-hmm. So they need me right now, and I feel like I'm fulfilling my purpose and really living in my pur- purpose and really helping other people accomplish their goals. I can do my line at any time. So it's not really my focus right now. Awesome. All right, Miss Whole Mood. This is <laughs> very good. But it's also great to converse with the podcast host because they just they know how to make it flow. Oh, so yeah. that's helpful. Oh, that's helpful. So I thoroughly enjoyed this. Thank you. To great. our listeners, LC Apparel Consulting, Lenise Collier. Remember that name. I know a legend in the making when I see one. So um, a, a lot, a lot more to be done. I'm sure. Um, follow her. Support what she's doing. We say it all the time. We have to support our own. Absolutely. We all we got. Um, as always, remember to like, share, and subscribe to this podcast, and never forget to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Take care. Thank you for listening to the December 26th podcast. I am your host, Delisha. This episode was produced by Demarcus Adisa and music was provided by Thovo. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at December 26th. That's December 26ER. Er.